Hi there, I'm Dan Jones, and this is Anna Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, there she is. And uh, this is Climate Scientists. Normally on this podcast, we have conversations with people whose work intersects with climate in some way. This is a new experimental format where uh, me and Ella are just going to catch up about projects we're involved in, uh, papers we're interested in, things we're curious about, you know, whatever the intersection of like the stuff we do and climate is, I guess you could say. Um, just as a way to put out some kind of informal episodes every now and then to kind of stay in touch with with you all a little bit more frequently. So yeah, I don't know. We uh, to be transparent, we've already been talking a little bit. So this is not <laughs> this is not the very first bit of this conversation. But uh, yeah. So how have you been? What have you been up to? What have you been involved with? What can you What can you talk about? Oh Dan, I've been I've been I've had my fingers in so many pies. I've got mm. blueberry juice all over my face. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of mostly communication style work. Um, yeah. In addition to the research, obviously, um, yeah. but it's been really fun, and it's it's the kind of projects that feel less like work and more like enjoyable things. But you know, it's yeah. still taking up lots of time. <laughs> For sure, yeah. What kind of, so it's some of your outreach kind of projects. What have you been? What have you been doing? I saw a couple of tweets and pictures, but I, I admit I didn't like go down the rabbit hole of looking at the details of what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the IPCC Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report came out mm-hmm. the 9th of August, um, and I did a lot of media around then. I was actually in holiday. Uh, hot spotting off my phone trying to do BBC mm. News Channel live interviews and oh it it was stressful <laughs> but <laughs> but enjoyable nonetheless and important so I, I also made a YouTube video about that and had a mad rush to get that out before the embargo because uh, I decided that I would make it two days beforehand which is obviously uh, <laughs> bad time planning <laughs> um, so yeah since then I've had a lot of um, new various different kind of uh climate communication things last night i was at fashion week in fact um i I saw some pictures about that some people had made dresses out of ed hawkins climate stripes yeah it's really amazing this um it's called the house of tamam atelier tamam Hmm. um and they're making sustainable fashion uh featuring the climate stripes so they had lots of dresses that had the stripes on they had a cape which you swished out and mm. had the stripes on the inside which i yeah. coveted hugely <laughs> that was i think the best thing on the runway and of course um, the stripes showing like you know annual temperature and showing the increase by just by color there's no numbers on there it's strictly you know a blue to red increasing color scale so it's got a real visual simplicity to it in terms of the communication style exactly and ed designed it in his words, to start conversations about climate change. So you see the blue colors transitioning into these pinks and then like deep dark reds. And it it's intuitive, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Mm-hmm. It's, you, you associate blue with cool and red with warm. And you can see very clearly that the temperatures have risen. And if somebody merely tells you that it's from 1850 to the present it's really clear what's happening so oh, yeah. it's a really nice way of uh, of demonstrating something quite complicated in a really really clear and simple way 
But yeah, you, you can get face masks with the climate stripes on. You've got <laughs> scarves, you've got dresses. Someone put it on their Tesla, <laughs> got little badges. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, and it, now it's it's hitting the runway and, and taking London Fashion Week by storm. <laughs> Had front row seats, which was um, exciting. I've never been to a fashion show before. Hmm. I don't know if you have. Maybe you frequent no. No, I, I don't. I, I have not entered that world so far in my life. No. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a, a, an experience. Not your average Thursday night, let's say. But what are we picturing? So there's loud music. I guess it's not that crowded. There's you know people up and down the runway. I guess it's you know we kind of know what it is. Like I guess, but what's you know in the middle of it? I don't know. Your, your seats were right there at the front, so you're looking front at front row. Front yeah. row. <laughs> Right at the beginning, yeah. Um, and there's, you know, all these people around me who are celebrities or have MBEs or, you know, all this thing. And then me, which was <laughs> a bit strange. But, yeah, no, rubbing shoulders with uh, the the great lights of the time, <laughs> not trying not to feel like too out of place. And also the main question is what do you wear to a fashion show? Ella, you can go wherever you want. Just go. It doesn't matter. You should go wherever you want. <laughs> Thank you it's, for countering my imposter syndrome, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go wherever you want. It doesn't matter. We're all, yeah, we're human beings on a floating rock that's spinning around a star that's exploding constantly. Not literally exploding, but, you know, I mean, just, just go wherever you want. <laughs> Healthy bit of perspective there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So okay. that's what I've been doing this week. That's what you've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about yeah the climate stripes and how clean of a message that is, and you you only need a few extra words to kind of explain. I guess it's like the first order message is what you want. It's like temperatures have been increasing, um, and th that actually kind of makes me think about how I'm, I'm going to be very mildly critical, and I don't mean this in a actually negative way. I just thought this might be fun for a conversation of like so Scott Denning. And others have kind of pointed out how if you start the climate conversation with temperature, then where that leads a lot of people is, well, I don't know about a lot of people, maybe that's not fair, but where that leads some people is they say, oh yeah, but you know, the temperature's changed a lot and you know, who knows why it could be changing. So their suggestion for climate communication is to start with carbon dioxide and to start with like the emissions of carbon dioxide. And then you say, well, we know what carbon dioxide does. You know, it uh, both absorbs and emits infrared radiation. So if you put more of it into the atmosphere, you're going to get more energy down here at the surface. Now, maybe that's too complicated for like a mask or a, I guess you could put carbon emissions, you know, in that same sort of stripe format, but it, then it doesn't immediately visually communicate like what the effect of that is. So I don't know if that's a big problem as it used to be anymore, though. I feel like I feel like uh, Scott Denning. It is a good point. I could be wrong, but I feel like there there aren't as many, or the voice of climate deniers, straight up deniers, don't seem to be quite as loud these days. I don't know if that's just a function of where I'm listening, but it doesn't seem to be quite as loud as it was even ten years ago, five years ago. No, I, I would really agree. I think more and more we're seeing less outright denial. And more alarmism. Mm. I, I would say it's the, it's the battle between deniers and doomists, personally, mm. because yeah. you see more and more people saying scientists are lying; they're not telling the truth. Actually, we're going to have sea level rise of five meters by this century, mm. and you're all covering up 
this truth that we know so because I read one paper <laughs> that said that and actually all of the IPCC uh, literature is wrong it's too conservative but this one mm. paper that's that's the truth and I'm, I'm getting a lot of that I get a lot of that on social media on on variety of platforms I, I even got a hard copy letter oh wow when somebody, I went, went back to my office that said that physically wrote you Somebody physically wrote me a letter spent money on a stamp licked it put it on the envelope sent it amazing <laughs> they really they put the time they wanted you specifically to know they're for really? some reason, yeah. you, know, you connected with that person enough that they wanted to bother you about <laughs> their particular you know yeah. idea on it but i would agree that there's less denial it's mm. it's a few very vocal people yeah. But they are fewer and further between every year, it seems. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm excited about along these lines, you know, getting away from the kind of doom perspective and getting away from the kind of denial, um, the, the voices, you know, who have been kind of telling us to just ignore the whole thing. Um, Catherine Hayhoe has a new book coming out that I'm excited about. I went ahead and pre ordered it. I forgot the name of it. What's the name of it? <laughs> anyway. I'll look it up while we're talking, but the book is, uh, so she's framing it in terms of, of hope and in terms of, you know, kind of optimism and positivity. And, uh, I really appreciate that kind of perspective. And it's, it's one that I try to keep myself in terms of, well, yeah, things don't look good, but you know, if we take some, if we do take action now, then we will prevent like even worse outcomes. It can always get worse. And so, you know, if you, take some action you're preventing a, a you know hypothetical really uh, deeply scary worst case scenario um which is kind of a, a weirdly positive way to phrase it yeah i think i would agree that maybe i wouldn't call it optimism because i i try to because people i mean you must get this all the time as well where if you're working in climate people always ask you okay so what gives you hope how do you keep going how do you mm -hmm. not i don't know want to cry into a pillow every night and the answer is I have to be pragmatic I don't think I can be optimistic because I really mm -hmm. don't think we're going to get to one and a half degrees mm. uh, but as you say every every bit of the worst case scenario we can avoid is good so yeah. it's a spectrum it's not like one and a half degrees or eight it's mm. a great a many many scales of gray in the middle so you know five degrees is better than eight but three degrees is better than five and mm. you know all, all of the, the the distance between there and everything that we can do to minimize that number is mm. going to be beneficial so it's for me i'm not i don't i don't really say that i'm optimistic about mm -hmm. climate i yeah. say that i have more of a pragmatic approach and every every action counts yeah pragmatic optimism possibly pragmatic me, optimism I, I, I yeah <laughs> i might call it that that's a twitter bio <laughs> ah, pragmatic optimist yeah that, that must exist already that sounds like it probably does so the that kind of makes me think about i feel like in our own lives we probably don't give ourselves enough credit for the bad decisions we don't make <laughs> for the bad decisions we avoid. I feel like we should celebrate that. Like, you know, every, every, yeah. every bad corner you swerved. Yeah, just, yeah, that's right. Like, um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to, um, I, I think people should eat what they need to eat and don't stress too much about it. But for example, you know, 
I didn't go eat five cinnamon rolls today, and that's pretty good. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. <laughs> so I want to give myself credit. Were you tempted? Um, luckily, I had a bit of an effort barrier because we don't have cinnamon rolls like in the house. So that's a way to hack things a little yeah. bit. It's like just don't keep don't keep those things around. That's why so I keep peanut butter tempted. on a shelf really high out of my reach. I have to get mm-hmm. a chair to get it. Right. Otherwise, so that, it would be off, off that spoon in a flash. Yeah effort barriers mm. so you you use the power of inconvenience to you know, it's amazing to, how work how it works it is mm-hmm. i mean even though you're doing it to yourself the psychology works it's it brilliant i'm like that with browsing so on my um browser i use this app which it blocks you know twitter and facebook and those places that are just way too easy to just kind of go to and start clicking around and it banks up time like the longer you haven't been on those sites it banks up some time that you can then spend in at some point on like you know oh okay i can i can go to these sites and of course i can turn that whole extension off if i need to it only takes two or three clicks but just that extra little effort barrier is enough to stop me from at least mindlessly just going over to twitter and looking and scrolling through it and the fact you consciously have to do it as well presumably yeah because yeah, you're like, okay, right. I'm overriding this now. I'm actively going to procrastinate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, I do I do use Twitter in some professional capacities, so I'm not always goofing off. Sometimes I'm goofing off, but, you know, I do have, occasionally have. But what's weird about Twitter is even sometimes when I'm goofing off, I will, like, come across a paper or an interesting perspective or something I hadn't thought about. And that's part of what's probably addictive about it is every now and then it pays off. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a huge yeah. fan of Twitter for that. And that's why I curate who I follow because you can, in five minutes, summarize or find out what's going on in your field. You can see who's released a new paper. You can see some new kind of debate on topics that hasn't necessarily made it into the literature yet, but people are kind of formulating their opinions on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, there's cat pictures, but I try mm-hmm. to only follow people that actually post about climate mostly so (laughs) hopefully they're not they're not every other picture but yeah no I I find Twitter immensely useful and try to swerve the aggro because there is a lot of that there but I tend not to see it too much I don't know do you engage in in Twitter battles so no I've become somebody who will I will block pretty easily and if it's somebody who clearly is just like you said, they've got that angry energy and they're, they're, well, I want to be careful because sometimes it's fine to be angry. So that's not quite what I'm talking about, right? That's, that's okay to be angry sometimes, but the people who are actively looking to do harm, put it that way, you know, if I get a feeling that, oh, this person just wants to cause damage and just wants to, to hurt um, and kind of lash out, then there's not a whole lot you can do for those folks. Unfortunately, you can just block them. Basically. I think that's all you can do. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I, I will say that like, so if I, I tweet about climate stuff, I've hardly ever gotten any pushback or any kind of weird comment every now and then I do, but they almost read like they have been generated by bots or something. It's like not, it doesn't seem to be actual human thought. <laughs> as far as I can tell. Uh, so I feel like I just get bots occasionally, which I kind of wondered why I don't get more, you know, angry kind of climate denier sort of tweets and responses and things. I'm not, not totally sure about that. Maybe I'm just not quite 
you know, high profile enough for that sort of thing. Or, I think sometimes it's no. a bit of luck. Like you get retweeted by someone who is high profile or a media platform, or you do an appearance on some news channel and someone clips it and shares it. And then you get loads of notifications mm. and it's some person having a go because they think that actually sea level rise of four millimeters per year is nothing uh, mm. or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed you do get a good bit of that, or, and you've you've kind of talk, talked about that. You've made videos about that, and you just mentioned a minute ago about like all the you know climate. Oh, the next episode is coming. I, I feel it. I've gotten so mm. much more fodder recently, and <laughs> I, I, it's bursting at the seams. I need to get it off my chest. Excellent. Some really yeah. real, real gold dust in the recent <laughs> correspondence. Dan, just you wait. It's going to be good. And that's your um, video series on. Here's here's things that actual climate deniers have sent to me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was I was talking about this with Ed Hawkins again, actually, um, mm. who obviously gets a lot of that kind of stuff because he's a very high profile uh, climate scientist, and naturally, the more uh, in the pro- public eye you are, the more uh, stuff you get off off people on the internet. But also, mm-hmm. I think as a woman, I get more um, because for some reason people feel like strangers on the internet feel like they have more of a right to harass me than my male contemporaries. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think it's a common theme because when I was curating the original climate deniers, climate scientists reacts to climate deniers comments video, um, yeah. all the submissions almost exclusively the kind of actual hateful or angry ones or aggressive ones, maybe not angry. Um, mm. We're all from female scientists, pretty much. Mm. And right. from anecdotal evidence, I think that that is probably true. But yeah, it's mm. one of the best ways to deal with it is to share it and laugh at it because it yeah. is quite ridiculous. But if you let it, if you receive all of this kind of hateful commentary all the time, even if you know it's not real, Mm-hmm. eventually it gets to you so you have to laugh about it and you have to share yeah. it shine a light on it yeah exactly whatever is exactly. mentionable is manageable so you can mention it and then exactly. manage it yeah exactly. so that's so the that tactic helps. i've been employing and i think it also makes it helpful for other people because a it's hilarious and yeah. b <laughs> it shows it for how ridiculous it is and hopefully mm-hmm. it makes people think twice before sending an email or an actual letter to someone's professional address requesting foot pictures or uh, no. weird no. stuff like that or sending a voicemail. I've got a voicemail. A, a That's voicemail? Really... Oh, my gosh. I don't that, think that, I... that one felt a bit too much. Yeah, that one's a bit scary. Yeah. Um, so, so I think I've anecdotally noticed the same thing. There does seem to be some component of like a misogynistic sort of mindset in a lot of these. And... I will. I wanted to say that in my tweets so far about gender stuff and trans stuff is like, okay, I, and and even just kind of poking my head into that world, um, I've gotten a lot more negative and kind of harmful and hurtful comments than ever than I ever have. Mm-hmm. Like, so even though I'm like a frequent climate tweet person, climate science type. I never heard anything, but the minute I've dipped my toe in the gender type and uh, trans issues kind of waters, 
uh, there seems to be a lot of transphobia on It feels on like there's Twitter. an awful lot of um, heightened em- emotion and like vitriol on both sides of mm-hmm. um, whatever, well, if you can call it a debate, but on <laughs> the issue. Um, yeah. And lots of people are immediately jumping to quite aggressive stances mm-hmm. or as at least in climate a lot of the time it starts out at least being quite respectful and mm. because you're talking about factual stuff you can sort of rely on that a little bit whereas yeah. when it comes to something like gender identity or gender politics it's so in like intrinsically personal that mm. people feel like they can jump straight in with the no you're wrong and <laughs> you, you, you're terrible for yeah. whatever, whatever they're saying, their argument mm. is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You can at least with the climate stuff, um, you know, it's possible to start with like, well, why don't we look at this data from this time period? <laughs> you can do that sort of thing. Well, I'm sorry you have to deal with all that garbage, but I'm glad you can shine a light on it and share it with with the world. And well, likewise, yeah. I'm sorry you have to deal with anything in <laughs> a different topic. <laughs> you know, no I'm one should gonna... have to deal with harassment on anything. No, I've just been blacking. Just black it. To <laughs> block through. Little block finger. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Clicking away. <laughs> yeah. But you have given me an idea. Maybe I should share it a little bit more. Or, you know, there could be a purpose behind sharing it. And like you said, shining a light on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh. So I didn't actually tell you what I've been up to. And no, I just, you haven't. That's, I, this is, now's the time. <laughs> yeah. So I've been too much in host mode and not in like, cause this is just a, this is a two host chat. Hostful is one of the words you could use to describe it. This is nice. Yeah, this is good. Um, so now that my kid is back in school, I've been trying to spin back up on the, the work again. And the, what I've been playing with is I've got these temperature and salinity measurements in the Southern ocean. Uh, they've been compiled by Shinji Zhao. He's, works at the British Antarctic Survey, and they are all for the Weddell Gyre and Weddell Sea region, you know, which is in the South Atlantic, south of the, you, know, you go to the Atlantic Ocean, go south for a very long time, and you'll get there. It's basically, uh, you know, if you hit Antarctica, you, you've gone too far. <laughs> um, so this is the part of the ocean that I'm looking at. The observations are pretty sparse there, and there's not a huge collection of them. It's difficult to get to. It's expensive to run it's expensive to get down there. It's expensive to run ships down there. It's difficult. The weather conditions are very, like, very challenging. But we have some decent number of observations from a few decades. So I've been applying some unsupervised classification machine learning type techniques to try to find structures in those that profile data set and trying different domains and trying different depth ranges and just modifying kind of preconditioning, the kind of data pre-processing stuff that you might try to go through. And it's been fun. And I have been finding some kind of interesting structures that do seem to be coherent in some way. And they're like spatially coherent and they seem to have similar properties. So, you know, I think I've maybe, you can identify the kind of central Weddell gyre waters, which have a certain set of temperature and salinity properties in a certain kind of vertical structure. And you can identify Antarctic circumpolar current waters and places where the different water masses kind of mix together. So, yeah, I don't know. It looks interesting to me. I think one of the hard parts about that kind of unsupervised classification approach is, you know, once you have the structures, then what? What do you do with them? You know, you can, it's interesting and it's a cool way to divide up the data set that you're looking at. Um, 
but you know, what kind of science story is it going to tell? It's not necessarily obvious. You have to kind of look at them and play around with them. And that's, um, hopefully where creativity kicks in at some point and you start going, Oh, it would be neat if I looked at it this way, or maybe this is a, you, you need that like conceptual understanding of how the world works down there. You need ideas of what might be causing these coherent patterns or enforcing that kind of structure and how that might change in the future. Yeah. That's such an interesting mm. point. Like having that physical understanding and underpinning those sort of, there's so many statistical techniques which cluster things or categorize things. I'm thinking mm-hmm. something like empirical orthogonal functions or mm-hmm. principal mm-hmm. component analysis or clustering or all of these very complicated statistical techniques that find patterns, but then you can almost get so abstract that it doesn't really have much meaning. So you need that Mm. translation between the statistical know-how and the statistical understanding, and then uh, a way of connecting that to what's physically happening, which is actually that lots of people don't have both. Mm -hmm. So it's really, A, it's a really great thing to collaborate on, but B, it's really amazing to have both of those, which is a really interesting thing and having that kind of underpinning the statistical techniques must be useful. Yeah. I think you, you need both. Um, I'm kind of reminded of, you know, sometimes I don't want to throw everybody under the bus, but sometimes when you work with a, a machine learning expert or an AI type expert who that's been their, their field, they tend to come at problems from, or again, overgeneralization, is what I'm about to do. So everybody, please know I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Um, I'm just, I am overgeneralizing. But if you come at the world from a machine learning or AI first perspective, the temptation is to go, well, we don't really need to understand the system. In fact, I I don't want to bias my thinking. So I'm just going to see what the algorithm tells me. And well, I kind of understand that on, on one level, but on the other hand, when you're working with the Earth system, we do know some things about it, and we do know that mass is conserved, and energy is conserved, and momentum is conserved, and um, you know, when ice melts, it does things, and we like we know there's some physical processes at, at play here. Um, it's complicated enough where we don't know all of them, and we don't know how they all interact with each other on different timescales. But uh, yeah, I think you really do need need both. Because there's the other side of that, if you're coming at these kind of problems from the uh, just kind of physical only perspective, then you might be tempted to say, well, we need to build our hypotheses first and then look at the data to see if we can understand the world through this theoretical lens we have built, which is kind of traditional and can be really powerful and interesting, but it does mean you're trying to shove the world through this lens you have created, which may or may not be, may or may not be correct. And you might be missing things in the process. Um, yeah. Putting it through the spaghetti maker. Yeah. So <laughs> shameless... really wants to be penne. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, that's right. I like that. That's a fun way to put it. So a little shameless plug. I was a co-author on this um, review paper in machine learning and oceanography that Micah Sonnewald led, and she did a great job leading that. Uh, that's that's out now. It's in environmental research letters. And we talk about what I just brought up, you know, those two kind of data first perspectives or theory first perspectives and how can machine learning complement both of those approaches? How can they help us kind of um, 
how how can machine learning enter into our way of understanding the world? It's it's not really meant to replace anything in my mind. It's meant to just be another set of tools in the toolbox. So yeah. Excellent. Go check that yeah. one out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shameless plug. Micah, yeah, Micah is doing a lot of really exciting work in this area. And uh yeah, she's been clustering ecological regions. She has a neat paper about ecology. Um, she'd be a great person to talk to. Maybe we can get her on the show. At some Excellent. Point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Micah, Micah Sunwald. So um are you are you going to there's the whole COP26 thing that's coming up in, is it next month? Is October, right? Or is it November? I think it starts on Halloween and goes until the 12th of November. Okay. There we go. I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I think people might have the perception that every climate researcher in the world is going to be laser focused on this thing. But actually, there are a lot of us who, like the policy part of it isn't so central to what we're doing. So we might be a couple steps removed. So I, I want to... You know, I want to be aware of what's going on there, but I don't have a particular need to to physically go. Well, what about you? And space is at a premium, so it's mm. it's difficult. I mean, all of the whole of Glasgow has been booked up already. Mm. I think I've I've had so many people saying they're they're staying in Edinburgh and going to have to commute fifty minutes every day. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I I would love to go. Um, mm. I think uh, for people who are interested in communication and for people who are interested in policy, it's a really good opportunity, but. I would love to go, but I'm not really exactly clear on what I would be doing there, really. Right, right. right. So <laughs> if I can figure something out that would actually be useful, then I'm there. But it's, yeah, there's a lot of um, like groups going up. So, for example, the Royal Meteorological Society, the Met Office, a few universities are going to have a bit of space. But space in the green zone, which is kind of the publicly accessible bit where all the discussions happen and the engagement that's not behind closed doors, mm. uh, is really, really prized real estate. So yeah, I think I there's so. three huge organizations sharing something like five meters by one and a half meters uh, mm. as a kind of demonstration space. Mm. Um, it's all, I think it's going to be loads of really amazing communicators and educators and scientists and policy people all in one space, uh, but mm. it would be hectic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Are they doing any online stuff? They must be doing some kind of online part, I would imagine. I haven't really looked yet. I'd imagine mm. so, but also loads and loads of organizations are doing their own uh, parallel sort of events. So mm. if you're not at COP, you can join in some online event that kind of complements it, organized by some NGO or an organization who works on climate or a variety of different mm. things. Yeah. Oh, no, maybe I should mention, so I, this is a big international climate kind of meeting, which does have some science elements to it, but it is kind of focused on agreements and solutions and there's a big political component to it and um so i think maybe i forgot to mention that like what it actually is in case in case people don't know look up cop 26 and you'll see you'll see what's going on <laughs> yeah um and you, so, you, you forget how often the uh the jargon creeps in don't you sometimes mm -hmm. yeah that's right and in other non-work related news i got a sun lamp because i'm very sensitive to I get that seasonal affective disorder really badly. So like last week when we had kind of gray overcast skies, it's it's weird because I like the aesthetic of it, but it, I definitely notice a big downturn and like I get 
a bit emotionally down and affected by it. So I bought a sun lamp here. Even it's, it's sunny today, so I don't need it. But you know, it's got these three settings, and one of them is really extremely bright. So I can kind of turn it on, and I'll just leave it on during the day. And it does help. It does seem to actually work, which is pretty cool. That's so, good. I'm going to take vitamin D. I'm going to use my sun lamp and maybe I'll get through the winter, the autumn and winter and <laughs> eventually we'll crawl out of the darkness and have nice long days again. Uh, it's not too bad yet. It's okay right now, but I know it's coming, you know, by December yeah. we have those like gets dark at three thirty afternoons. <laughs> I think this side of Christmas is usually okay because everyone's mm-hmm. feeling a bit jolly and it's like still a novelty almost. You know, Oh, it's a bit dark. Oh, that's quite nice. Isn't it? <laughs> Crumpets by the fire. And then, yeah. In January, everyone is broke, has done all of their partying, <laughs> has nothing to look forward to for ages, yeah. and it's still dark and wet and cold. Mm-hmm. January is bleak, but at least it's kind of getting better. Um, if it wasn't yeah. so carbon intense, I'd say let's switch hemispheres and live in Australia you know, in January and February and then come back up nice, here. But yeah. Uh, yeah, not a great climate, uh, not a great climate solution. <laughs> No, probably not. No. Is there um, anything else we want to talk about? I, I wanted to. I know that we got a lot going on, and I, th- I think we wanted to try to keep these fairly time limited. Otherwise, they'll just eat yeah. all afternoon. You know. Just I've, I've one shout out. Mm-hmm. I did. I chaired a really well co-chaired a really cool uh, event on this week Wednesday. Um, a climate education summit, which was mm. super cool and brought together all of these different, I guess you would call them stakeholders in the jargon, um, from across education about how to incorporate climate change into both the formal curriculum, but also beyond, so extracurricular stuff. Mm. And how, because obviously young people are so switched on to climate and they're driving the the need for more better education. Um, there are lots of people working in education who recognize that, but it's just finding the space and time within either the formal school work, like school day, um, mm-hmm. or within other existing structures to actually give teachers, educators, people who run after school clubs, all of the kind of tools and the confidence to actually deliver meaningful climate education. Cause young people are so hungry for this, stuff i mean they do also have a lot of the facts because you you learn all the science behind climate change but it's Mm. it's things like how to actually approach it and getting the skills that you could use to get a job in something that actually contributes to climate so it's things like ai it's things like coding it's it's things that are actually relatively new in climate sciences perhaps Mm. that will be such vital skills to young people as they're coming of age and going out into the adult world that are going to be so, so helpful. So it's really inspiring to see and hear all of these people from a really wide range of disciplines talking about how we can shake up uh, education to to incorporate climate better into it. And it's it did feel like there was lots of momentum and desire and from young people themselves, but also from from teachers and from uh, people in local government and all, all sorts of places. So that was some good news. I felt very uh, encouraged and excited about where that could go. And obviously 
the children are the future, as the, uh, the, the saying goes. So. Nice. What, did you, what did you say the name was of the organisation? Of the, it's it was organised by Reading University, hmm. but it was a, a climate education summit. Excellent. That yeah, sounds really cool. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. There are there there are plenaries, um, and I think the videos are online. And there's a big, um, what there's a website, and I think also a a MOOC, which is a new a new word that I'm mm. I'm I've recently been acquainted with. So it's essentially a short online course. Oh yeah. I can't, oh. I can't remember what it actually stands for. Massive open open <laughs> course. Yeah. <laughs> open a online. Massive, massive open massive, course. <laughs> Massive open online course, I think is what it stands yeah, for. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds right. Um, anyway, yeah. So Reading also produced one of those, which was presented by two students. Um, I contributed. I did some uh, an interview, essentially, um, as did lots of other uh, academics, which was released at the same time. So it was really cool um, in a way of that Reading was contributing to climate education. But anyway, the whole thing came out this week and it was really brilliant and climate education is, it feels like things are happening. It's really exciting. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. That sounds great. Um, why don't we do the outro? If that's, I guess, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Is that, that all right? Let's, let's, yeah. yeah, we're good. <laughs> well, There's lots more, but I, I don't, too much to go into. Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll try to we'll try to keep these time limited so we don't, like we said, so it doesn't just eat the whole um Oh, your t-shirt. I see you've got your, you're from your gym, right? That's you. Got yeah. Your yeah. Yeah. Your boxing gym. Are you all starting again? Are you, um, is it, are you able to? We did. Um, we've actually sort of restructured how we do it because I am my main coach and I don't have any time. And mm -hmm. also our classes, which I think everyone was just getting a bit tired of the way that things were. Mm -hmm. So we've decided to stop doing formal classes go back to doing more kind of member-led stuff. So if our members want to lead a specific session, they can do it themselves and we'll help them organize it. Um, and then doing kind of monthly seminars. So we get someone to come in and talk about jujitsu or we mm. do a, a showcase of sparring or something like that. Yeah. So it's different every time. Nice. But it's a lot so less mental load for the two of us who run it. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Soul Star, S-O-L-S-T-A-R. Indeed. Excellent. Let's get the heck out of here. Thanks very much, Ella. <laughs> yeah. So thanks to Sean Williams Page for editing services. Thanks for Ella for being here and as my co-host. Thanks to Lillian Blair for audio engineering consultation services. And thanks to all of you for listening, downloading, whatever, subscribing. Thanks for your feedback and comments. I hope you enjoyed this. And we will be back with more of these in the future. I think this went well. I think we can I think we can keep this up. Cool. And thanks to you, Dan, of course. Mm, thank you. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye, Ella. <laughs> Ciao.